It all begins with this gate drop. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to the Power to the Ground podcast, your home for everything motocross, supercross, and dirt bike related. I am Steve, joined as always by Jesse. What's up, Jesse? Just enjoying my ride on the Bam Bam bandwagon right now, oh, Steve. We'll get there, buddy. So, wherever you happen to be listening to this, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can be notified every time we upload a new show. Also, visit our website, www.powerthenumber2theground.com. Check out for giveaways, merch, and other exclusive web content that will be coming soon and be a good friend and share our content with your buddy so they can enjoy this supercross season to the fullest like we are going to Whew. now that that's all out of the way <laughs> holy races but last night seriously that was infinitely more exciting than last that, week that, for sure okay, that first 450 heat race was more exciting than the main event last week totally so uh we're gonna talk about Awesome races last night, 250s, 450s. We also have something a little bit different, a little bit special we're going to be doing. Um, I don't know how much you want to give away just yet, but uh, a little bit later in the podcast, we're going to be playing you guys something that we think is really, really important to the sport and to um, fans and families who are all into this kind of stuff. So stick around for that. You ready to talk some 250s, buddy? Let's get into it. So how often is the winner of the race... Not even the best story in the race. It's not very often. That was the case in the 250s last night. Yes. <laughs> and my dad will be very happy to hear us talk about this because after we posted the podcast last week, he immediately texted me and was like, why didn't you talk about Jet Lawrence? And you know what? He's absolutely right because Jet, Jet last week, uh, real quick, was coming off of food poisoning. Yep. So like everybody else in this sport right now was really sick, really ill. Like the plague is running through this sport right now. It's ridiculous how many Osborne was sick. Webb is still sick. Barsha was sick. Like it's just been ridiculous. But Jet Lawrence had food poisoning, still posted a ninth in his first ever professional 250 ride, which is pretty impressive. So that being said, what's even more impressive than a ninth in his first 250 race was what he did last night. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we actually, when we were watching the races last week, we had mentioned it. We just completely forgot to talk about it the next day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad, my dad totally let me have it. He listens to every single one of these. Shout out, dad. Thanks for listening. Um, and he lets me have it when we miss something. And he totally let me have it on this one. So I want to make sure that we cover it. But Jet made it really easy for us to cover it I was going to say, there week. was no way we were missing this one because he could have won that race last night, first of all. Yeah. Uh, he was on Forkner's tail for a majority of that race, a really large portion of that race. And he was keeping up. Yep. He really was. Um, made a couple of dumb mistakes. Yep. Um, Ricky-type mistakes, things that... A 16-year-old on a dirt bike would do. Dude, the yeah. kid is 16. His second race ever. And I honestly, there was at one point I was like, he's just going to turn it on and pass him. Like, he's going to win this race. Yeah, it looked like he was just biding his time until, like, the end of until the end of the race. And he was just going to turn it on and try to make a move. Um, Forkner did look really good, though. He did. Uh, he was smooth. He got back out front. Didn't make that, you know, that fatal error this week like he did last week. So, I have a feeling that... Um, 
him and him and Justin Cooper are going to be going at it for a majority of this season. It's going to be really, it's going to be a tight race this year, I think. Yeah. Because Ferrandez essentially took himself, I'm sorry, got taken out of it. He did. Last night. Yeah, um, by Alex Martin and, and Moseman. Yeah, that was brutal. I mean, nothing Ooh. he was doing about that. They, that's just, you have no control over what happens. The guy bumps, like he's in midair and they get yeah. bumped into. Like it was, And that was, they were talking about the importance of a start in Supercross because you're at the mercy of the people around you. And that's exactly what happened at the start. Uh, Alex Martin took a position going into a rhythm section and Alex Martin bumped Moseman and Moseman got bumped off of his position into Ferrandis's position. Who couldn't do anything about Nothing. it. So a uh, result of a poor start, 100%. So he put himself there and, you know, he didn't do himself any favors last week either. So right. he is really really behind the curve when it comes to uh points and you know his t- chance in the championship because right now it looks like justin cooper and austin forkner are far and away the favorites like these guys i mean obviously they both went one two one two or yep. no, i'm sorry they didn't go one two forkner no. had the the penalties last week right felt like he should have finished too <laughs> right which is probably why where that comes from but uh cooper's another one i i am more convinced this week than I was last week that Justin Cooper is going to be the star that we thought he was. Because last week, he got out front and stayed out front. Right. Fine. Any good professional fast rider can do that. What happens when you don't start out front? Well, last night he finished second. Exactly. Yeah, he he passed a lot of riders who were riding really well. I mean, I'm just going down the list here. Um, well... Real quick, let me let me go through the. We'll do top ten because I think that's really no. We'll go top twelve just because that's where Ferrandis landed. <laughs> so um, we had one Austin Forkner, two Justin Cooper, three Hartenraft, um, four Alex Martin, five Jet Lawrence, uh, six Jacob Hayes, seven Luke Clout, eight Mitchell Oldenburg, nine Carson Brown, ten Derek Drake. 11, Martin Costello, and 12, Dylan Ferrandis. So back to the Jet Lawrence thing real quick. Yep. I want to I kind of focus on that because I want I don't think we really emphasized just how impressive that was because not only did he have a chance to compete for the win or at least that you know podium top two, um, the only reason he finished fifth, which is still an impressive finish for a 16-year-old rookie in his second race. Fifth, right. If you just looked at the standings and didn't watch the race, you'd be like, wow. Jet really turned it on, and he was he was good. That fifth finish. Both he made two mistakes. Yep, that Hit the tough or had two, had two issues that put him back into fifth. So uh, he had the 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 mistake it, in the rhythm section that right. allowed Justin Cooper to make the pass on him. Yep, which might have happened anyway. Justin was really on 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 a roll, but he didn't even get a chance to fight back uh, because he had made that mistake. So that put him back. And it looked like he was going to be fine then. And then I don't know if they showed Something. what happened. Something went wrong with his bike. He actually had to leave the track, yep. have get some help working on his bike, and then come back on the track and finished fifth. Right. Yeah, they did something. It, it was something towards the rear of the bike. It almost looked like they. It almost looked like they were some. They were taking something out of the wheel. I'm not really sure. I didn't really get a good look at it, but yeah, he had to leave the leave the the track for a good few a, seconds. Yeah, probably between five and ten seconds, and then got back on. And he still made a couple of passes because he didn't get on at five. No, I think he was around seven. Yeah, 
because he, he passed back. he passed clout and he passed Hayes to get back into fifth. So yeah, he came back in, he made some passes and got back into the top five. Just incredibly impressive. Like that was to me the most impressive performance. I'm sorry. Yeah, the most impressive performance in the 250s was was yeah. Jet Lawrence, especially with the circumstances surrounding it. Absolutely, most yeah. impressive. Um, then behind that for me would be Forkner and Cooper in that order. Right, and those two. It looks like those two are really going to be the front runners right now. Because I mean, we're looking back in here. Ferrandis is already 15 points back from the front. Now, 15 points. Three, you know, two races into the season is not 15 points with two races to go in the right. season. So there is plenty, plenty of time for Ferrandez to come back in it. But oh, he half, better remember it's a half a season for, for the 250s. Fair. So there isn't as much time, but there is still time. Right. But he needs to do it now. Yep. Like he needs to, okay, you had a rough start and you had some bad luck, right? Yep. Week one and two. Shake it off, get your starts together. Because when Ferrandis is up front, he is as fast, if not faster, than both of those guys. Ferrandis and Forkner should be easily battling back and forth. And now Justin Cooper is proving that he belongs in that conversation, too. Right. He did it last year. Um, yeah, these guys, he needs to get it together. Because if not, if he doesn't get it together this week, it might be too late. Because I'm pretty sure this coming week, my prediction is going to be Forkner-Cooper 1-2 again. Yeah, in, in, some, in some order. I, I think right. that's exactly what it's going to be, yeah. Yeah, and I think it'd be really, really awesome if they just went back and forth. <laughs> yeah. One, two, one, two, one, two. And just flopped each week. How amazing of a season would that be? Because then you know it's going to start getting heated at that point, right? right. The, the passes are going to get a little bit tighter, a little bit more aggressive. There's going to be some some retaliation. And, like, uh, Justin Cooper seems like he's got a pretty level head. So I feel like he might not lose his, his stuff. Right. Forkner, Forkner, on the other hand. Does not. In <laughs> fact, so we saw um, they showed the highlight. Uh, Forkner approaching Justin Cooper after last week when Cooper forced him into that, you know, and uh, he was kind of, he did not appreciate it. But then they showed the replay. I'm like, that was as clean as clean gets. Right. You, you check up there. That's the, if they take you high like that, you either check up or you go down. Well, he chose to go down. He chose, like, you have a choice there. Yes, it was an aggressive move, but it wasn't a dirty aggressive move. It wasn't an overly, I thought it was as clean, hard, tough racing that Justin Cooper did. And Forkner didn't appreciate it. And, well, you know he's going to take a run at him if he gets a chance. Right. Yeah. I mean, and Forkner is Forkner just seems like one of those guys he, he can dish it out, but he can't. He just can't take it back. You know, he he just complains when it comes back to which him. which I think plays really into if Justin Cooper is as level headed as he's come off because, like I said, b- that is the impression that I have gotten from Justin Cooper is very, very cool, level headed, calm. We even saw last week, you know. Forkner said he, if he didn't make that mistake in the tough blocks, he would have won. I don't know. Cooper was biding his time. He was creeping up, and then he'd slinky back. He'd creep up, and he was he flashed a tire a few times. Yep. And he was getting ready to go after another pass when Forkner made the mistake and handed it to him. So, no, dude, you were not running away with that race if you didn't make that mistake. So that showed me the patience and coolness that Justin Cooper has, which – if it does start getting heated and tense down the line, plays right into Justin Cooper's hands. Agreed. Agreed. So, uh, let's go through... Actually, let's go through the season standings real quick before we start getting into predictions for next week. Well, we'll do predictions at the end. I think that's you probably... Do, yeah, the, all the, the predictions at the end. Okay. All right. So, for the season standings right now, um, 
I'm going to go through the top 10 because I feel like there's still there's relevance all the way through the top 10 right now. Um, so Justin Cooper, obviously, he's number one. Uh, he's got 49 points. Five points back, we have number two, Austin Forkner, 44 points. Then we have Brandon Hartenraft, seven points back from that with 30. I'm going to pause you there. Okay. I No disrespect to Hartenraft. Um, he's young. I'm sure he's got a bright future. He has basically lucked into third place in the standings right now like he lucked into a podium yesterday. Yeah. The, they, they were like three riders who were faster than him that should have podium that he just <laughs> that either went down or had some kind of mix up. And so like I good for him for staying up. Obviously right. you get That's part you of the game credit. It's part of the game 100% 100% but he absolutely lucked into third place last night and in the standings. Totally. Absolutely agree. So he's at 37 points. Then you have Ferrandis at number four with 34 points. You have Alex Martin with 32. Then you have Jet Lawrence also with 32. So wait, so Jet's tied for fifth? Fifth, yep. With Alex Martin. Yep. Okay. Wow. And, then, and then you have uh, Jacob Hayes at 29, uh, Derek Drake at 28, um, Christian Craig at 22. That was really unfortunate because Craig looked great yesterday. He did, yeah. But before he went down, and he went down hard from what it looked like, like he was not he did, it did not look like he was ready to just hop back up and jump on the bike. So, not at all. And it really, because you and I talked about before, before the races even started, like we were both really really pulling for Craig to have a great season because of what he went through and how hard he fought to to get back on the bike this year. Yeah. Um, really wanted to see him do well, so he's been riding great. He just that was really unfortunate last night. And I think both of us kind of just hung. As soon as we, we like, saw it, we were oh, like, man. So yeah. it was too bad. Hopefully he's okay and can come back out and just, you know, get back on a roll this coming week. But that was really, that yeah, was unfortunate to see. So Christian, good luck, man. Hopefully you're okay because we're, we're definitely pulling for you. Yep. So he's he's in ninth um, and tied for ninth with, um, jeez, uh, Michael Moseman, Mitchell Oldenburg, and Carson Brown. Um, so yeah, there's four so <laughs> there's four riders tied into the top ten right now. So the top ten is really actually twelve riders. <laughs> wow, wow. I mean, it's two races in, so you're gonna have a lot of ties. You know, you're going to have a lot of guys who are really close. You know, gaps haven't been set yet. Uh, Ferrandis will move up in that. Yeah. Um, I have no doubt about that. He's going to, he's probably going to win a couple or at least start getting some consistent podiums. Um, he really needs to figure out his starts, though. Yeah. Um, and he, Ferrandis is not the only one in, in this that needs to figure out his starts. Ooh, so, starts, actually, let's, let's real quick before we, before we go into break, um, Starts have always been important in this sport. Right. Right. It feels like this year, it is the difference between podium and like barely cracking the top 10. Yeah. I mean, right here, I'm looking at it. They they have average start on here for the season. Does it go in relatively close order to what their standings are? Because that would be... So we have Justin Cooper, who's the points leader, obviously. His average start is four four and a half. So he had a rough start yesterday. That's why he said it was impressive because he battled back right. and finished second. And then we have Austin Forkner, who's second, and his average start is one. So he has 
Yeah, because he's shotted whole shotted both of the races. Yep. Yep. And then Hart and Raff's average start is eighth. And Ferrandis' average start is 14. And that, so boom, there you go. Your average start is so, and I can't wait till we see that in the 450s because I feel like it's going to be even more glaring in the 450s um, with who gets starting where because yep. Barsha is going to have a great, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> starts Bar- are I'm, very I'm, important. That's my point. Starts are, it feels like more important this year than they have been in years past. And they've always been important, but... But the the talent pool is so deep now that the 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 start is that's, very very important. That's the difference. That's the biggest difference. It's not two or three guys who it doesn't matter where they start. They're so much faster than everybody. They're going to work their way to the front. You start in the back. You're fighting through really high level competition all the way back to like ten. Right before you know. So and we said that the past you know couple of weeks. Like why why is why is he not moving up? Like right. this is we're used to seeing bad starts and then you just move up quick, but it's not happening. So um the other thing I wanted to mention about yesterday, that track was awesome. Yes, it was. St. Louis was awesome. And I think that for me was the difference in excitement, right? Yep. So we we kind of ripped into Anaheim one last week and how it just felt like a one lane track. There was one line through the whole track. There was so little opportunity to pass, and we saw it in the camera view. Everybody was just riding the same line. The whoops were terrible, awful, awful. Like, yeah, this this week was absolutely the complete opposite. There was lines all over the track. The whoops were awesome, perfect. They were perfect, perfect. And in fact. The rhythm sections last week actually were pretty good. They were really smooth rhythms. They did the opposite this week. They made the whoops nice and easy, and they made the rhythm sections um, crazy complicated. Crazy complicated, which made it really cool because there was a lot of strategy involved. Every rider was taking a different whoop, it was, uh, different rhythm. There was no fastest rhythm through any of those sections. You right. could say, you know, uh, triple 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 single double triple double like any one of those were just as vi- we were like oh man you know that looks like that rhythm is way faster but then the next time around the, a different rhythm was faster and it's just right. there was it was so exciting because it wasn't just everybody falling in lockstep uh the setup was great i really hope that moving forward the tracks kind of take notes from that because yeah. that i think was the biggest factor in how exciting that race was yeah whoever designed that that track absolutely knocked it out of the park. Also, you said the you know the underpass back across the, the start underpass line is really cool. cool. I love it when they do those. Yeah, they they have the underpass right underneath a tabletop. Um, if you guys haven't watched this before, uh, haven't watched this race yet, you can go over to NBCGold.com. Uh, you can get a membership for the whole season, and you can watch all the replays too. If you're not available to watch it um, live, live. Um, Steve's dropping I'm pens. I'm throwing pens all over the place. I'm excited. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was the 250s wrapped up. Um, I'm excited to see what Jet does next week. Um, see if he can he can take this momentum and actually compete for number for number one. I oh my god! If he wins a race in the next couple of races, it's gonna blow my mind. I mean, he's got <laughs> Dungy as a mentor at this point, right? Yeah. And Dungy even said he's a kid. These it was right after he had gone down in the heat race, right? And they grabbed Dungy and they're like, "Yo, what about that? He looked good." And then he's like, "Look, 
He's a kid. Yeah. He's fast. He looks great. But those are the mistakes you make when you're lack experience. Right. Those things come with experience. So I think Jet is going to have a similar rookie season to what Justin Cooper did. And look at the maturity Justin Cooper went through from last year to this year. If Jet can kind of make that same kind of transition, I think he's going to be better and faster than Justin. Justin. No offense, no right. offense to Cooper, who's great. Right, this um, kid's just a prodigy. He's just an absolute <laughs> pro. Sixteen years old, and if he can start keep riding up front like he did yesterday, yeah. and watch those guys learn from the guys who are competing for a championship, it's going to only accelerate his experience. And that's and exactly what RC was saying during the races. He said this is going to be his best learning lesson that he could possibly get is riding up front with those guys and learning what they do. Yeah. And that was when he said that when he was riding, he was three quarters of the race. He was riding right behind who is considered the favorite one, at least one of the favorites for a championship for three quarters of that main event. It was great. Yeah. Good experience for him. So I think that wraps up the two fifties. You got anything else for the two fifties? We'll do predictions at the end, but yep. No, that's all I got. Uh, awesome, awesome racing. Lot, lots of excitement. A little bit of flubs for Christian and Jet, but uh, overall, 250s was a great, great Yeah, it was race. awesome. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we got something special, and we'll talk the 450s. We'll be right back. So, Jesse, we're doing something a little bit different. This is definitely a first for this podcast. Yep. Uh, first for us. Uh, this will be the first time we have had somebody outside of you or I on this podcast. Yes. Um. And I'm I'm really excited. I got a chance to listen to a lot of this interview. It's unfortunate I couldn't be there to to do it. But you had the chance to sit down with the authors of a children's motorcycle book series, uh, Mark and Nancy. Correct. Correct. Uh, just tell us a little bit about what you got from the interview before we we're, we're going to play it here for you guys. But I just you know what are your thoughts on kind of Mark Nancy what they're doing and 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 how you feel about the whole thing. Yeah, so over the past week I got a chance to do an interview with Mark and Nancy who are the authors of the Mimi and Moto children's book series, which is a children's book series um aimed at getting children introduced to motorcycles, which I think is an absolutely awesome concept. They're great people. And I think anybody who's listening to this podcast who at one point was a child or at some point has had children or at some point in the future plans on having children or knows children or knows like children nephews and nieces or cousins you'll you'll find this uh very relevant because these these are great people and like I said they're doing something that's very unique it's the only one of its kind and I hope you enjoy the interview awesome so let's go ahead and play that when we come back we'll wrap it up and we'll talk about the 450s so uh take it away Jesse <laughs> All right, so I am sitting down with Nancy Gerloff and Mark Augustin. Is that how you pronounce it, Mark? I think that's pretty good, yes. All right. <laughs> um, so these guys, they got a hold of me. When did you get a hold of me? It was about a month, month and a half ago, I think. And uh, Early December, I think we reached out to you. Awesome. And um, they are the author of this awesome children's book series called Mimi and Moto. And they sent me a couple of books here. Um, one is the motors. It's I, I'm assuming is the original, the Mimi and Moto, the motorcycle monkeys. The uh, blue one, yeah, as we call it around here, Adventures is the first one. Gotcha. And then uh, Ride the Al- the Alphabet is the other one. 
And I sat down and I looked at these with my daughter and um, she's she's a little old for these, but she still got a kick out of them because she she too likes uh, motors with wheels. <laughs> so <laughs> um, she's 11 years old and we are uh, for those of you who are not in the room here with us, um, we uh, we all had to put our children down for the night so that we could make time for this interview. Um and the timing worked out really well. So I just wanted to get into a little bit of a conversation with you guys because this is a very, very interesting and obviously unique concept. And I had a couple of questions for you because I want to get to know the people behind the books before we really dive into the books themselves. So first off, how did you guys first get into motorcycles? I'll take this one first because that kind of will lead to Nancy. To be honest with you, the, the seed for me was planted when I was in uh, elementary school, up, uh, living up in Connecticut, I had some friends who were riding dirt bikes and I desperately wanted to ride dirt bikes as well. And unfortunately at that time, um, my parents were just not really hip to it. So that desire and little seed just kind of got filed away. And it wasn't until I was 34, I think it was, that I got my motorcycle license. Uh, so that was what, 2004 and started riding. Um, so that's how I got into it, um, which I think is kind of funny because you know now we we spend our try time trying to get kids early into riding motorcycles when I was the kid deprived as a child. But uh, I guess that's how life works. And I guess my my riding story then leads to Nancy's riding story. So I'm from Germany, uh, and I have grown up with uh, mopeds mostly, and then you know like small bikes, 125s, but. I normally was a rider uh, as a passenger, but never as a, you know, the rider. Like, I didn't own anything. So it was mostly the boys, you know, that's a boy thing. So nobody even considered a girl to get into riding. And few, yeah, few women did it. So uh, actually, my mom has a motorcycle license as well as my grandma. But I was never turned on by them. I was turned on with my dad. He took me to uh, flat track races you know, on a regular basis. So uh, that was our bonding time was as a family, you know, hanging out at the track and just, uh, you know, watching it. So I, I always liked the smell of it. And I liked how, you know, how you feel on it. So I was always drawn to it. So and then when I moved to the US, it was very easy to take the motorcycle safety course. And then I got my license uh, shortly after and bought my first bike. So uh, I think Mark was uh, very uh, much involved in this decision. I, I mean, truthfully, you know, how it happened was when Nancy moved to the States, she started, we started riding. I was already riding, obviously. So I would just take her out for rides. I think at the time it was on the, was it the KTM? Mm -hmm. It was, the, I was riding a KTM adventure. So I used to take her two up. And I think she just kind of got sick of being a passenger and wanted to ride herself. So uh, I think the first bike was a Yamaha XT225. And then, then you jumped on a BMW GS650. Nice. Yeah, that's, you, there's a lot of familiar points there. Is, uh, motorcycles is definitely a family sport. And I, I, I don't feel like it gets enough attention as such. So you guys obviously have, you have your own story uh, on motorcycles and then you had your story together on motorcycles and you, you came together and obviously you have a family together. What made you guys decide to write children's books 
aimed at the motorcycle industry. So when we had our daughter, she was one and a half. We started to potty train her. And to keep her longer on the potty uh, and make this process as smooth as possible, we had her read through books or magazines. And then she started to pick up the AMA, American Motorcycle Association magazine. And she always pointed out the different types of bikes. And we thought, oh, this is so cool. She's, you know, she's picking up on the bikes. And then uh, we looked online to find books for her age. So she was maybe you know, 15 months or whatever. And uh, there was nothing for small children, nothing which looked good to us or which, you know, resembled like a modern looking uh, like kid's motorcycle book. There was just nothing out there. So we just sat together one night and uh, we came up with an idea to write a book and, you know, to start with, you know, very easy um, children's book for, uh, with Mimi and Moto came, uh, by Mia always referring to herself, our daughter's name is Mia, and her, herself, she couldn't say Mia, so she called herself Mimi. So that was kind of the first name, Mimi, and then we just came up as Moto, so that, that's the name of the two monkeys. So that's kind of how it started. So And if I recall, the date, I mean, the decision was, I think it was September of 2015 when we were, uh, we were at a cabin just sort of, talking about it and i think that's when we decided hey let's give this a try so uh, that's what really got the whole thing started was just wanting to we couldn't find a book for our daughter that we liked so we decided to make one so so walk me through this thought process what what made you uh decide to make it monkeys you know we were trying to stick with m uh, i don't think we're kids love monkeys they like tails it's m there's certainly been no shortage of monkey characters, you know, uh, that are out there, a variety of ones. It just sort of really worked with what we were trying to do. Uh, you know, they obviously, you know, monkeys are have a very human-like quality, and that's certainly something that we wanted to to bring to uh, to the characters. Um, it was we tried to keep we really tried to keep things at least for the first book. I thought we were trying to keep things really simple and just fill what we thought was a void in the marketplace for just a cool little book to get kids. You know, I know, I know from my experience, you know, when you're, when you're playing, you know, there's nothing stronger than an idea. And if you can plant those ideas in kids really young, that we, we did see a void. We knew even when we were talking about it back then, we certainly knew that we, based on our search for books online, we thought the industry could, could use something like what we were trying to create. We had no clue it would lead to, us sitting here talking to you tonight, but <laughs> I mean, I think uh, it seemed like it's, it seems like it's working on some level. So uh, we're pretty happy with the decision to go forward and try it. Uh, how long, how long did it take from making that, that decision to, to having an end product? Your, the, the first book. I would say about it from that night that we said, let's try this. Uh, that was September of 2015. We sold our first book, on Amazon, uh, I think it was October fourth, twenty sixteen. That's the first book that we sold, uh, which was a wow. really pretty cool. I mean, I, I, you know, it's really neat. You know, we spent a lot when you spend a lot of time creating something and you throw out there, and somebody says, "Hey, I'll give you some money for it." Um, it it's always special when when people buy the books. That first one was really kind of neat, and then uh, and we just started from there. Uh, we never. You don't know how something like this is going to turn out, but we were really satisfied with the first book, and it was—it's been really well received and and sold quite well, and we're just doing it all on our own. 
what kind of feedback are you guys getting from the uh, the moto community with this with these uh, this series of books? Uh, so after we published our first book, we got um you know we got a couple of good reviews on motorcycle um, related websites, and uh, we got a lot of positive feedback mainly on Amazon, but also at events. So Mark did a lot of um, motorcycle events, um, races and rallies and where he just put up a booth and just sold our first book. So uh, we didn't have anything else back then, but we got so many positive feedback and people just love the book. Even people who are not into motorcycling, people just love to read it to the children and became very fast, the nighttime favorite for the kids. And they would just bring it everywhere and bring it to school and bring it to, you know, in the car and read it in the car. So it was just cute. And um, I think children just love the motorcycle monkeys. They love how they, you know, how they look. And, you know, it's easy for them to, you know, follow the characters for the first book. The second book we um, published this year in no. July. July oh, last 2019, year. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're in 2020. So in July <laughs> 2019, and I think our main feedback was that everybody loves it and actually one of our uh i think first illustrator he, he made a comment like they grew up so they they actually grow with with the person so our daughter is now a little bit older maybe a motor look a little bit older you know they can do the uh, alphabet they can do the abcs so i think they look more mature and um you know we target like an older age as well and uh, it's much longer there's more meat to it there's you know it rhymes and it's just a really good way of children and parents to interact um, with, uh, you know, motorcycles in mind. So I would say only positive feedback. I, I don't, yeah, I don't remember any negative feedback. Well, I can definitely attest to that. Um, I have my, my daughter, like I said, she's a little bit older now. She's, she's 11 years old, but that being said, she has also been, you know, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And I've, I've gone through my fair share of children's books um, with her. So uh, even if I wasn't a raving motorcycle fan, uh, which I am, but I have to say these are very well-written children's books. They have, they have a wonderful flow to them. Um, the illustrations are just very entertaining. Um, and I, I think you guys have a this is just a great product and I'm, I'm very thankful that you are one doing it and, and two that you reached out to us to, to come and talk about it on, on our show. And I really appreciate that. So to bring it around, speaking of our show, as you know, we talk a lot about motocross and supercross. Are you guys motocross or supercross fans? You know, we're definitely, Supercross fans, uh, we're very aware that Supercross is coming to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium here at Atlanta on the 29th. One of the things that you know we've done for the last three, four years, and as you can see from the books, are we pay we have to kind of pay attention to everybody that's out there. Um, and, and Supercross certainly, I think, when we look and think about Supercross, you know, that is really uh, sort of like a, the shining light on the hill for how to do things right. Uh, you know, from the very ground up, I mean, you know, all the, the work that's put in uh, to put the uh, the show together, it's professional all the way through. The emphasis, you know, where we really are drawn to looking at Supercross is all the stuff, you know, with the, the futures and, and everything that's going on with that. And, and really, 
you know, Supercross kind of shows you how it has to be. And, and I think going back to your earlier point, just, you know, the whole family thing, you know, it starts with little kids on, on 50 cc's these days with kids on striders and stasics um the, it, it, you know it's strong now because the the ecosystem is there to to build uh the kind of talent you need to put on the events that supercross puts on um so we definitely pay attention um if there's anybody from supercross listening to this right now uh you know please get in touch with us uh, we would love to somehow be a part of the event uh here in atlanta uh, on february the 29th um, but again, you know, I think one of the things that we tried to do with the characters is, as you can see from the books, they ride everything, dirt bikes, sport bikes, choppers, cruisers, uh, which uh, has us paying attention to everybody. And certainly supercross in the world of dirt bikes and motocross is something that, uh, you know, close to us and something that we've incorporated throughout the books and, um, and we'll continue to do so for the foreseeable future. That is awesome. You guys. So for everyone out there listening, where can they find your stuff? Everything is available at our website, which is mimianmoto.com. And then for those of you that want to pick up the books on uh, Amazon or eBay, they're also available over there. And, you know, what we're trying to do, I think, again, going back to the whole Supercross thing, you know, what drives Supercross is, you know, ultimately too the fans. And I think what, what we've really realized, and, and we appreciate the opportunity to come on to the show and, and speak to a lot of those fans, is that's the, we're doing the same exact thing with, uh, with Mimi and Moto. One book at a time, one kid at a time, uh, you know, build fans. And, you know, as you know, you know, just like with Supercross, fans are loyal and they stick around. And, uh, and just like you said, it's a, a real family thing. And that's really what, what we're trying to do. We're trying to get kids excited about the motorcycle lifestyle. Um, and certainly family is, uh, you know, on the front lines of doing just that. Well, that is awesome guys. I, I really appreciate you reaching out to us. Like I said earlier, um, it's been wonderful. If there's absolutely anything that we can do for you guys going forward, please feel free to reach out to us. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Um, and I wish you all the absolute best of luck with these. Because, uh, like I said, it's a wonderful, wonderful book series that you have here. Thanks again for sending us the books and uh, and for taking some time out of your night to come and uh, talk with me. All right, Jess. Hey, we appreciate the opportunity to uh, chat with you, man. Thank you very much. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Again, I want to thank Mark and Nancy for uh for having that that conversation with me. Like I said, they're great people. I love what they're doing. Um, we are definitely going to stay in contact with them into the future because I think there's a lot of crossover with the type of stuff that they want to do and the type of stuff that we want to do. So this will definitely not be the last time that we hear from them. So if you're listening to this, Mark and Nancy, thank you very much. And I look forward to uh, speaking with you in the future. Awesome. And it's, it's such a great interview too. There's, there's so much that... Um kids can get from things like that and you know it was kind of mentioned but just even for me i actually related very much with mark's side of the story and how he got into motorcycles um you know i've been into it since you and your dad introduced me as a kid but really just because of means and in life had never really had a chance to own a motorcycle as a kid uh on or off road as an adult either um so you know, for him to have gotten into it around a lot of the same ages and actually riding closer to where I am, I was very, very relatable to me. And I know that, um, you know, that kind of passion 
doesn't have to come from somebody who's in writing some, since they were four years old. Right. You know, um, I, cause I haven't been, and I absolutely love motorcycles in this sport. So, um, for me too, Steve, thank you, Mark and Nancy for what you guys are doing and bringing the sport to kids. I know actually uh, a very good friend of mine, uh, has a, has a kid who's just now getting to that age where he's starting to look at stuff like that. He's got one of the little electric razor, uh, dirt bikes. That's right. That's James, uh, James, James. Um, so I actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm going to get James and like, dude, I, I don't know if Tanner's a little bit old for those. I'm going to give them to him anyway. I'm like, dude, ch- check these out, get your kid into this because this is something. And he said too, he's like, I'm going to get into it if he gets into right. it. So like, bam, there you go. Family sport. Family sport. <laughs> yep. So thank you guys. Awesome. Jesse, let's move on to the big guys. 450. 450 time. 450 Be honest. Time. Be honest with me. How much did you have to hold back to keep from tearing up when they showed Roxanne's wife? 100%. Dude, I seriously, I was about to break down. Like, they're showing her, and I'm like, no, don't, I don't want to see this. <laughs> I don't. And then he's coming around the last few turns, and, like, and she just, she just lost go. it. Yeah. And I almost lost it with her. Like, oh, I never thought I would be that emotionally invested in a rider winning a second week of the season race. Right. It's two years, two years since it. Three years. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're in 2020 now. Yes. Three, Three years, years since, his, since last his last win in Supercross. And, yeah, just emotional is is such an understatement. Two devastating arm injuries. I yeah. mean, this guy... And they showed the arm injuries, oh, too. God, oh, it's, man. It's still, it still makes me cringe. And so a guy who was rising... And start. He was going to compete, if not win. He probably he may have been at that point. You know, if you're looking back, if he hadn't gotten injured, could be two or three time champion right now. You right. know, like he was that good. Um, obviously, we're talking about Ken Roxon. Right. Uh, to see his comeback and to watch it and to constantly be asking each week, when is he going to come back? Is he going to come back? When is it going to happen? When is? Last week, I was like. I just don't know. I just don't know if he's even going to be able to make it to where he was again. He's trying. He's working his balls off. Um, but it just didn't feel like he had put it together yet. And then yesterday was about a perfect a ride as you could have. And yeah. he just – there was no, nothing anybody was doing about it. And Barsha tried his damnedest. Yeah, he did. Barsha tried to stick, tried to stick with him. But you just kept seeing – at, at like there was a couple of times in the race when all of a sudden you just saw Roxon just turn it on and the entire field's timing dropped like two seconds at a time. Yeah. Like, I don't, like I don't in know. A, in a section of a lap. In a section of a lap, yeah. And so, and he just kept doing that. He ended up eight, I think eight, around eight seconds Well, it dropped off Marcia. a little bit at the end, those last few turns. It dropped to like six or something ridiculous right. like that. But I mean, at its at its peak, before he started, you know, winding down in that last lap, I think it was about eight to 10 seconds. Yeah. Um, which was... Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm so happy for him. And yeah, it was emotional seeing his wife there. And then they, they, they kept showing the split screen after when he was making his way up to the podium. Um She's running down. She's running like, down. It was like, the, it was like a movie. everybody. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. I was waiting for like the bodyguard soundtrack to start I mean, playing. That's no, no. That is literally like the ending of Rocky. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Adrian. Yeah, exactly. Like he's ready to start yelling his wife's name out because she's fighting through the crowd to get to it. Like it really had that kind of feel. But you know what? He earned that emotion. His wife and her support. They earned that emotion. Right. Like, uh, the amount that he's battled three years, and we know how big a deal it is to these guys to win a main event yeah. in Supercross. So for, to go three years after being a favorite, right, every week, 
uh, really good for him. I used to really, really, really not like Henry. Yeah, Rockson. I think both of us fell into that category where he was just annoying <laughs> yeah. in interviews because he would always have some sort of an excuse. Even if he won, he would have some sort of an excuse. And it just drove me crazy. He but actually even started to do that a little bit in outdoors this last yeah. year because we've mentioned it on this podcast a few times. Um, it started a little bit. He seems to have matured a little bit, though. So much. Like, they... It's almost night and day. Yeah. Listening to him now. It has to have been such a humbling experience for him to be just... I mean, he took no time getting into 450s. He right. jumped on a 450 and he was competing for Did a Did he not win his first race on a 450? I, the Anaheim won that year? Yeah. As a rookie? Um, I'm almost positive. He may Unless have. that was Millsap's year and he won week two. I, he won one of his first 450 races. Right. I, so, it was ridiculous. So... When he, like, he was one of these guys, He's ju- he just had no resistance at all. And you could tell. He just had this this air of... Everything's just going to come easy just and just gonna, happen for me. Right. So, and, and you could hear it in his voice when he talked. So for him to go through something where he has, he's had these massive injuries. Like, he's basically an android right now because of the injuries that he has. Both arms, like, it, it just... Like horrendous injuries right. to both arms. So to to go from from the top there to down to the bottom and have to work his way back up to the top. And never mind the, you know, the chronic fatigue stuff that he was yeah. he was dealing with. I mean, he's just he's not had it easy the past couple of years. Right. So credit to him for not giving up, for turning it around, you know, working his balls off. And he said how bad he wanted this. Yeah. Like, I dream of it. You know, I dream of the championship. I know it's going to be mine. Great mentality. But he's he's just I really want. He said in the interview to his mechanics, he said I you know, I just I really just want this win. I just want this win. And he made a pass in the first couple of turns and just Gone. gone um and he, so he went and got it and and yeah it's, it took it took a lot i never thought i would say that like you know got a little watery eyed yeah they were watching a supercross race but the way his wife broke down in those last couple of turns and then to see his excitement like he lost it he was like yes finally thank god oh that was great like he lost it i just i'm so happy for him good for him man yeah um, the race itself was still was, exciting. It was still exciting. I mean, there was a lot of other stuff going on, but that was that was a storyline right there. And the second storyline is the Bam Bam bandwagon has con- continued to roll. So here's where I stand there. I know I said this to you. I have bought my ticket to get on the Bam Bam bandwagon, but I have not actually physically gotten on the Bam Bam bandwagon. All right. I'm almost there. That's impressive. So the thing that impressed me most about most about Barsha is this time around is that he followed it up, first of all, right. with a second place. Nobody was beating Roxanne yesterday, by the way. Just I don't, I don't, Even if Tomac got a good start, he was nobody was beating Roxanne yesterday. No. That was his. So for Barsha to pull off his second place after having won last week is something we haven't seen from him very much. A definitive second place too. Like, right. It, yeah. It, there was there was Roxon on another level, and then Barsha on another level, and then the rest of the pack. Right. So it was an impressive, really, really good ride for him. He was sick too. Yeah. But like, really sick. Right. Like, he almost looked like he was gonna cry on the podium. <laughs> he after. Just he kept he was saying just, that was that, awful. That was awful. <laughs> that was like the worst twenty four hours of my life. Type awful. Like he was just. He felt like death. He looked like he felt like death. And he went out and put out. He was keeping up with Roxanne for 
a little bit at the beginning of there. Right. Um, and then I feel like, you know, Roxon took off and he probably started to feel the sickness right. feeling a little bit. But um, it was impressive. It would have been impressive if he wasn't sick. But the fact that he was also sick, kind of like what Webb did last week. Like, right. That's, and he said it. And here's the difference I'm really seeing with Barsha this year. <laughs> um, I'm just going to put the pen down. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, the difference I'm seeing with Barsha this year is his mentality. And it's the things he's saying. Like, he's always been kind of cool and mature, you know, especially the past few years. But when he said, you know, I'm glad to have gotten through that. I'm really glad that, you know, we pulled out the second with this awful, awful past few days I had. Because it's days like today. That's what champions do. Right. And that tells me he's got a champion's mentality. Right. Which is not something I think we've seen from him. Yep. Yep. That I agree. That, yeah, this is the first time where we've actually seen any type of a champion's mentality. Anything anything other than a surfer's mentality from Barsha. Yeah, and it's... Um, I don't know what's different. I mean, we talked about in the, the season preview, which was not last week, the week before, we talked about some of the differences in his program. You know, he's he's doing all of his own bike testing. He doesn't have a, a bike tester. Um He's actually getting support. I, I mean, he's on a factory team, but apparently there was a problem with the support that he was getting from from the the factory to his team. When they would make a request, he, they wouldn't get their request filled, so, but now they're actually getting that. You know, there's some differences, but neither of those things explain the mentality that we're, the mentality shift that we're seeing here. And I'm really wondering where that's coming from. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if he's training with somebody differently, or uh, but um, whatever it is, man, keep doing it because it's working. It's working. The Bam Bam bandwagon is it's gaining steam. It's gaining steam. So that's why I say I've got the ticket, but I haven't jumped on yet. If Barsha podiums sol- like a solid podium this next week, Anaheim two, mm-hmm. I'm on. Okay. I'm on because the three race, three podiums in a row. Like, has he ever done that? He's come close. I, I know think... he's come close. I know he's had like fourths and a win, a fourth and a third. And like, he's had these like stretches of, of good races. But right. has he podiumed, straight up podiumed three in a row? I I think a few years ago, he had one stretch in the middle of a season where he did podium like four or five races in a row. Okay. And he won maybe one or two of those. So... All right, so let me say this. If he finishes second or first in this Anaheim 2, I am 100% on the Bam Bam Bandwagon. All right. Any other finish, I'll still be kind of in the middle. All right. So I, I just – you, how do you argue with now, – now there's a two-race sample. It's still small, but how do you argue with the results, man? He looks great right now. Yeah, it's – he – I'm so excited. I'm a Barsha fan. Um, if you guys I – mean, You've been a Barsha fan from the beginning, too. Yeah, like I for, re- Since he was 250s, like I remember yeah. – I've just just watching him to to me is very fun because of the, his style. I mean, he's called Bam Bam for a reason. By the way, if you are also a Barsha fan and you want to hop onto the Bam Bam bandwagon, you can go over to our website and pick up a Bam Bam bandwagon T-shirt. Say that ten times fast. Yep. <laughs> go over to the website and pick up your Bam Bam bandwagon T-shirt. Um, he is so fun to watch. And he still has little hints of Bam Bam, but like I said, it's he's, controlled. It's now. controlled, yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting to watch. So before we go any further, let's do the results for last week. All right. So um, 
I'm going to do the exact same thing because the top 12 are also relevant this week for uh, 450s. So we had number one, obviously, Ken Roxon. Uh, in second, we had Justin Barcia, uh, Justin Barsha. In third, we had Jason Anderson, who pulled it out like right at the end. Um, fourth, Eli Tomac also pulled, pulled it, it out, out right, right at, at the end. end. Um, Zach Osborne, who is another person that I want to talk about. Um, then we had um, number six was Malcolm Stewart. Number seven is Adam Ciancierulo. Eight, Justin Brayton. Nine, Blake Baggett. Ten, Aaron Plessinger. 11, Justin Hill, 12, Cooper Webb. So let's go back back to front, right? Okay. Uh, Webb was still sick, and right. I think it just got to him this time. He he really did a good job last week of doing what Barsha did this week and then kind of powering through where he ended up podium, on the podium last week. Did not look like he had it in him today. No. Uh, he, he very likely just did not even want to be there today. Right, and he's probably yesterday. still sick, and it's something that I was – that I was saying last week, you know, he was just starting to get sick last week. And when you've got the flu, um, it lingers, it lingers, especially if you, if you don't have an opportunity to rest and these guys don't have opportunities to rest when they're not training, they're traveling. And that's like, that's like the next few months until the season's over. So, I, I mean I hope he gets over it. I hope he's I hope he's got I I hope he gets over it because obviously Cooper Webb is a a, a championship challenger. So um well the good news for Cooper is again same kind of deal as Ferrandez, right? It's early. They have even more races right. to make up for any kind of gaps, but it's so wide open right now that it, it, I feel like any of those top 5 6 riders can win next week right and the week after and the week after that and if it does start cycling like that that's just even more opportunity because if it's the same idea when you're in a race right two guys battling each other it gives you a chance to catch up because they're right. slowing each other down if one or two people aren't just winning every race then those points are getting spread out it gives cooper a chance to get back into it so i don't think that he's hurt himself too much yet he saved himself last week with a third uh 12th is not great but it's a salvageable finish for somebody who probably could have just taken the night off completely, right exactly you know um so he still has a chance to kind of pull himself out and make himself a contender but he's got some work to do for sure yeah so uh speaking of number of 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 winners we're, we're two races in and we've already got two separate winners so we're we're approaching what it what i the think plus I, minus was six and a half right and so, i went under and i you went, went over, over. Okay. you said seven it was going to be seven or eight i said it was going to be six all right so that's that's pretty interesting. We'll keep a look on. We'll keep an eye on that one. Um, so next in line, we had Justin Hill. I'm pretty sure Justin Hill just kind of he just was there. <laughs> yeah. No. But let's, let's do the let's do the important notable ones. Okay. Right. So before the next important no, or notable writer, I think was Cooper. probably probably Blake Baggett. And the only reason I want to mention him is because he looked so good in the heat and just did not show up in the main. He looked good last week too. Yeah. We thought, man, he's he's healthy finally. You know, is he gonna? We actually mentioned that on the podcast. Like, yeah. is he gonna actually insert himself into this 
and uh, it no. did not come to fruition not for him all. in the main. So no, definitely not. Then we had um, Brayton. Brayton, who makes things interesting. That's really. I mean, he doesn't come. He he's not up top, but he certainly makes things interesting. I am going to stick Brayton. I, so I, I this is where I, what I who ha can talk really well. Um, <laughs> what I have decided about Justin Brayton is that he is not tier two. Right, like he's better than tier two, but he's not really tier one either. So I put Brayton in this weird like middle tier one and a half where like he can really make things interesting for those and keep up with for times, for stretches, those fastest riders. Um, But he's not quite at their level, but he's not slow enough to be considered that next group or like tier two. Like so he's in this weird kind of middle ground for me. Um, maybe he breaks through one way or the other, but, uh, right now he's kind of in the middle. So agreed. Then right above him was Adam Ciancia So you want to talk about the rookie mistakes that we were just getting on Jet Lawrence for, um, Adam got a little bit froggy to last night. He did. He, <laughs> he did got get a little froggy. too confident, overconfident, a little bit overexcited, uh, and a little too aggressive, especially with the wrong person, the wrong person. And he... Couldn't put it back together after that. No, no. no. I think I think Osborne completely got back into Ciancio. So let's talk about that, right? Yeah. So Ciancio on fire. He's making moves, right? Him and him and Tomac both had gotten rough starts. Uh, Ciancio making moves, moving to the front. He runs into somebody else who's having a great night. And might as well talk about him right now too. So right. we're doing this. Osborne looked awesome. Yes. Uh, he was he, impossible to pass. That's what, so at the end of the day, he wasn't as fast as those other riders, but man, did he make it? How long did it take Tomac to pass him? Yeah. I, and and he, he almost, almost didn't, he almost did it. And he almost, <laughs> and when he did, he almost came back at him. Right. So that, and that's what Osborne's been doing. And I, I absolutely love and respect Osborne for this. He's like, it's like a Bam Bam Jr. Kind of a thing. Yeah. Like when the, you said it, like, man, if, Barsha and Osborne get together, like, there's going to be fireworks. They're probably both going down because right. neither of them are ever going to give that inch. Right. Um, and that's how Osborne is. Cianciarulo did not learn that lesson. No. He went in tough, aggressive. I don't think it was dirty. I, I think it was a, a, a clean but aggressive hard move to try to pass Osborne that Osborne did not appreciate. No. Because in the very next turn, <laughs> he came right back at him, ran him basically off the track, yep. right? Um, took the spot back, and I, I swear it was that move. Because Osborne said one thing, watch who you go in on. Yeah. And what Sandrulo said was, uh, I think I just made a mistake. Because I feel <laughs> like that move... That Osborne's coming back at Cianciarulo got in his head. Yeah. Because he did not look the same. There was two different races Cianciarulo ran. Yeah. It was pre-Osborne move and post-Osborne move. And post-Osborne move, Cianciarulo was rattled. Yeah. And you could see it before that move, uh, Cianciarulo going through the rhythm section, which is something that we we were really keeping an eye on. Um, Cianciarulo had figured out the rhythm section. Took him a few laps, but he figured it out. Right up until that moment. And then Cianciarulo never got the rhythm back for the rest of the race. It, it took him out of his groove. It took him out of his focus. I really do think he was rattled. Yeah. Uh, just, just completely rattled by that. And listen, you get rattled by that, you got some growing to do. Yeah. Because... Barsha, Anderson, Osborne, these guys will come back at you, especially if you're aggressive. If you make a clean pass, fine. They might come back at you because that's what they do, but they're not going to go after you. Right. 
if you make it a hard aggressive pass, you bump them, you make them check up, almost run them off the track. Aggressive it pass is on. Yeah, and you have to be ready for it. And he was not prepared mentally for Osborne to come back at him. Now, to his credit, he did end up uh, passing Osborne again. Yep. Right? On uh, no, no, nope. Didn't, didn't they come back together? I think at one point they were next to each. Yes, he did because he fell again. He fell at the end, and that's how he ended up in ninth. So he actually, oh, he ended up in seventh. Yeah, that's what I said. (laughs) But he, so he was actually up there. No, I remember this. So he got rattled. He started dropping back, got his composure a little bit. He he caught back up to Osborne. And I remember because I was like, oh crap, he's coming back up to him. But he made the clean pass. He did it in a straight, didn't even come anywhere near him in the turn, made the pass. Oh, and then he, yeah. And then he crashed out. And that's how he dropped back down. So maybe he learned his lesson that second time he he kept a good double arms right. distance between him and Osborne <laughs> on that second pass so he's just he has to be mentally stronger than that i think yeah yeah he totally got shook especially was, since he ruined my predictions for this week ha and you think i think all all of our Dude, we were terrible terrible then we got um a, in 6 we had Malcolm Stewart who Malcolm Stewart did something absolutely insane in the heat race. Greatest set of passes I've ever seen. How many? <laughs> it was so ridiculous. he had two people in front of him. Yeah, he, he went from fifth to second in the matter of a whoop section and a turn. Yeah. And through that whoop section, I swear I've never seen somebody go through a whoop section that fast. He had ridiculous. he had two people in front of him. It was yeah. Tomac so it was fourth and, and fifth. Tomac yeah. and Webb. And that's the thing. It wasn't just anybody. Right. He had Tomac and Webb. <laughs> so I think Webb was in front of Tomac. Yep. And to- and Webb had to have been pro- probably a, a seven good. or seven or eight bike lengths of ahead of him. Like it was he was they close. Webb was halfway through that that whoop section when Stewart got into it. Right. And Tomac was about there too. Right. So Stewart through that whoop section past both Tomac and Webb. It was absolutely unbelievable. It was the fastest I've ever seen somebody go through a whoop section. So both of us just looked at it. We were like, <laughs> like what, what just, just happened? <laughs> it was like Mario Mario Kart or something like that. Like he just turned on the afterburners. He, he got the he got the little mushrooms. Dude, yeah. The little... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, and he hit the mushroom before the whoop. So he passed Tomac and Webb in the whoop section, hit the corner, and I, I forget who was in second at that point in the heat. Um, was it Brayton? Uh, or Freezy? Know. It was one of the two. Yeah, I have no idea. So it, there was a second play, right? So he passes Tomac and Webb in the whoops, comes around the corner, makes another pass, and is now in second after having gone back to the beginning of that last straightaway. He was in fifth. Right. Like, one of the most ridiculously crazy passes I have seen, like, ever. And that whole heat, by the way, we mentioned it. That heat alone... Was, had more was passes exciting. and was more exciting than the entire main event last week. Right. It, it was absolutely. awesome. Awesome. So, yeah. I, so, I still would like to see Malcolm kind of just take like another hat. So, he's like approaching that uh, Brayton territory for me where he's like he's definitely good enough to beat those second-tier riders. But he hasn't yet, outside of heats, shown that he can kind of stay up in the like podium area, you know. And yeah. I just... And he's got to stay on two wheels. He has to stay on two wheels. Yeah. So if he can, if he can really just put it together, I think he's got it. I think he can do it. He just has to do it. Just, just do just it. Do it. Just do it. Then we had uh, Zach Osborne. We talked about him. He we was. Did. He finished fifth. Then we have Eli Tomac finished fourth. 
And Eli, honestly, let's be honest, he kind of lucked into fourth. Yep. He did, he barely deserved that. And I am going to go really, really, really and be really hard on Tomac right now. He needs to start showing up. Yeah. Um. I don't know what's wrong with him. That, and I actually, did I not? I asked you that in the middle of the race. Like, dude, do you think something is wrong with Eli? Because this is not yeah, the Eli I mean, Tomac he, we know. He gave, the, he gave the arm pump line last week. Um, I haven't seen what what the excuse was this week. I don't know, but I do. You think his psyche is just that shattered at this point? I don't know. I man. feel like there's got to be something physically. This is we're talking about a guy that we came into this season saying that if he stays on two wheels, he might be one of the fastest riders we've ever seen. Yeah, he has the talent, the speed. When he's confident, nobody touches him. And we are two weeks into the season now, and Eli still has not shown up. His right. starts have been awful. awful. Like, awful, awful. Like, dude, go back, spend an entire week, forget practicing the track, literally just do starts every day for a full week before the next race because you need to— before, average, average start, 11 and a half. That's not—that's not going to cut it if unless— he finds the gear that we used to see, right? It used to not matter when Eli started, where Eli started. He could start 18th or first, and either way, he found a way to end up first. Right. Like I we've seen him come back from that far back. Uh he doesn't seem to have that speed this year, so he better get on his starts cuz he is not making the same amount of passes that he used to. No, and it's the same thing with the 450s. The talent pool is just so deep. He can't rely on getting terrible starts and then just making his way through the pack because a lot of these riders are really fast. I'm sure with the right track, with the right mentality and the right conditions, he can still do that, right? Because he does have that type of speed. But you're right. Like, he couldn't get past Osborne for most of this race. Right. He was sitting in eighth, ninth. Last week, he just stopped making passes. Like, he at least made his way up to fourth after a couple of crashes and some weird, you know, kind of shenanigans going on. Um, just really... Really disappointed in what I've seen from Eli so far this year. Yep, not and I told you I'm kind of I was kind of back on the Eli like fan. Yeah, you were pushing for it because in the two when he was in the 250s with Roxon, that was one of my favorite rivalries like ever. Right, it was Eli and Ken Roxon going back and forth. Eli had my number three, so I'm like, dude, I'm I'm this Eli guy. Let's go. Roxon was cocky, kind of a little bit arrogant, you know, immature, whatever. All the things we talked about. So that was one of the reasons I didn't like Roxon. I'm rooting for Eli for a long time, dude. Just put it together. I just don't know what I. I'm curious to see if it comes out, if anybody ever decides to cover the sport properly, um, if he has some kind. There's got to be something like it's wrong enough to affect his racing, but not bad enough to keep him out of the race. Right. I I I can't think of any other reason he has performed this poorly. This dude should be on the podium every single week that he doesn't crash. Yeah. I uh, This is not the first season where he's had a slow start. Sure. And then, uh, you know, racked up like seven wins in a row. So we'll see if that happens again. Those previous slow starts, though, usually came because of injury or crashes. Right. Right. So uh, was it last year he crashed in Anaheim 1? It was like, oh, great. Here we yeah. go. It was last year. He crashed out Anaheim 1. It was like, great. So now we get to wait four weeks to Eli to show up. And then a few years before that, the last Dungey year, he was out like completely for like a race or two and like had these like 20 something starts. And then suddenly he rattled off like nine wins in a row, right. 10 wins in a row and was competing for a championship. So the slow starts have usually been crashes and um, injury. This is just, just not showing it's up. It's just not showing up like a fourth 
is still good. I'm not trying to take that, you know, a fourth in this pool is still pretty good. But again, he kind of lucked into that fourth. He should have finished like sixth. Right. And last week, what was it, seventh? Yeah. Uh, I think last week was seventh. Let's see. So he, he's he got an average finish of five and a half, and he finished so fourth. Yeah. So he finished sixth. Or Yeah, no, it was seventh. Seventh. So, yeah. so a seventh and a fourth, that's not Eli numbers. No, not at all. Then ahead of Eli Tomac, we had Jason Anderson having a good time into third place. How do you like? We rag on this guy a lot, right? But after that, after that interview, I was just like, just having a good time. He's man. just having a good time, and, and I he think, says it. He said it over and over again. You yeah. know, we're just we're just having a good time. Yeah, and that's both good and bad. And I think the reason we've been kind of harping on him for it is that it feels like he won his championship and now he's just riding it he's out. He's still in the after party. Right. Well, he's just riding it out, right? Like he has nothing. What does he have left to prove? Right. right. He's not going to try to go after like greatest ever or anything like that. He's just, I won a championship, dude. I am a supercross champion. There are like a handful of riders that can say that on the planet. So screw it. I'm going to have a good time. <laughs> and he's, So you can't blame him for that, right? He did it. He achieved the height of his thing. But, you know, you know he has the talent to be one of the best, so you kind of want to see him push again, too. So, I don't know. Yeah. You, just, you can't hate on the guy too much. No, he's, he's, <laughs> just, a, he's just a fun-loving guy, I guess. It's just, you know, it's, it's, weird to see, it's weird to see somebody who's obviously such a high performer just not <laughs> take, take it seriously, you know? Um, so, and then in front of, uh, Anderson, obviously we had Barsha and Roxon. and we talked, we talked we, at length yeah, about we, them. Yeah, we, we, got to those. So, I mean, I think so, that wraps up the, the 450s. Well, let's, let's go through the, uh, the season standings real quick. Cause those are pretty interesting, especially right now. So, uh, because they switched up a little bit because of Cianci Rulo's terrible, terrible finish here. Um, so we had Barsha number one, still get the red plate with 49 points, six points back. We have Roxon, who took second in the standings with 43 points. Then we have third, Cianciarulo with 39 points. And he's tied with Jason Anderson. So Jason Anderson and Cianciarulo are tied for third. Then we have Tomac behind them with 35. Baggett behind him with 33. Webb behind him with 32. Um, Stewart with 31. Brayton with 30. And Osborne with 27 that is the top 10 so as osborne had a really rough first week uh, yeah he was sick too because again the plague is running through this sport yeah um i think yeah the standings are pretty accurate right now for me i mean obviously they're accurate right that's where they finish but i'm saying is if you were to ask me to rank kind of like performances so far that's fairly close to where I would have put these guys yeah. in the first place. You know, uh, Roxon didn't really have a great week last week, but he, great win yesterday. And then Barsh has just been the most steady and consistent. Yeah. And then we've got starts right here. We've got average starts. Oh, this is, yes. Let's do the average starts. I want it. We've got Justin Barsha, who's in first. His yep. average start is two. Yep. That's. That makes sense. <laughs> and he has the, obviously, the best average start in the entire pack. And he's number one. Then we have behind him Roxon with an average start of four and a half. Still pretty good. He's starting near the front. Cianciarulo, average start of four. Starting near the front. Now he just he just didn't he finish messed yesterday. Up. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Jason Anderson, average start of seven. So obviously he didn't. Let's see where where did he start. Um, he started in fifth. 
this week. So he had a bad start last, last week. week. Okay. So that, yeah. And that's right because he started making passes like at the end at the of the end. race. Yeah, I remember he went on that crazy hard charge last week. And then Eli Tomac is average start is 11 and a half. Yep. And he started in 12th this week, which means he started in 11th last week. So, yeah. I, well, that to me is the more... So the 250s were a little bit crazier, and I think they're going to be a little bit crazier, but it, it really just runs down. Like, that's in order, is it not, more or less? Um, more, Pretty close to it, right? The best average starts are... Well, pretty close to the top of the standings. Here's the the difference here. So we'll go average start and average finish because that'll give us a good barometer for where, like, what moves people are making in there. So we got average start for Barsha is 2.0, and average finish is one and a half. Yep. We've got Ken Roxon four and a half and three and a half. So he's making a couple. He's making a couple of moves off of his starts. He's making some passes. Then we have Cianciarulo, whose average start is four, and his average finish is four and a half. So he's actually... Not good. He's going back. He's going back. And then we have Jason Anderson, whose average start is seven, average finish is four. Then we have uh, Tomac, whose average start is 11 and a half, his average finish is five and a half. So he's still making passes. Yeah. Uh, he's just, just he's just screwing himself. Yeah. The starts are killing him, and he's not able to make the same level and speed of passes so that was the thing before when he started making those passes to catch back up they were fast right he didn't linger behind anybody he's been lingering too much right so yeah he's still making passes if he had made those same amount of passes but started fifth instead of 12th we'd be talking about a very very different season right now right so let's see if he can get it together his starts i think that's his biggest weakness right now i still think he hasn't really shown up but the biggest weakness for him is starts no doubt no doubt um which we already know is again important as hell in this sport, but with a pool this deep, it becomes that much more important. You're not making eight to one passes with three laps left, right? In in a pool this deep, right? Because you got to get by Anderson and Osborne and Webb and Cianciarulo, and no, it's not happening. It's not happening. Definitely not happening. Let's talk about predictions. All right, let's uh, uh just face the music, dude. Let's just you know. We're gonna take our take our tomatoes to the face. <laughs> uh, neither of us put Forkner at number one last week. We both had Ferrandis at number one, oh, so man. that looks pretty dead. Again, that wasn't entirely his fault. We did both get number two right with Justin Cooper. Okay, we both had Justin Cooper number two, and then uh, well, you at least put Forkner on the podium. Okay, um, I you put Craig. I have a personal bias, and I didn't. I put Christian Craig on there, which. Really probably wouldn't have been too far off had he not gone down. Right. right. He looked really good, but he went down, so there goes that whole idea. Um, so this week in the 250s, I already know what my predictions are going to be. Okay. So I'm going to write them down real quick. Think about yours for a second. All right. Um, I am going to go this, this, and this. Um. I already wrote mine down, so I don't want to influence you. Okay. So you go ahead and tell me yours. All right. I'm going to go number one, Cooper. Okay. Number two, Jet Lawrence. Okay. Number three, Austin Fortner. Okay. So here's a funny thing. We have the same three in different orders. Okay. Um, I went with Fortner winning again. Uh, as much as I said it would be funny to see him go back and forth, I think uh, Fortner, there's a chance he may have found it. 
And okay. if he found it, it's going to be really tough for Justin Cooper to, to beat him. It's I, I think, honestly, whether or not you or I are right about the winner is going to come down to start. Yeah. Um, and Forkner has gotten the whole shot. Every single time. Yep. And if Cooper gets out front, I have confidence that he can stay there. Yep. But if Forkner gets out front, I don't think Cooper's going to be able to pass him. Right now, I think Forkner's riding pretty high. Yep. Again, it comes down to starts. We both have Jed up there. I have him third. I'm not giving him the maturity level to take on the Forkner Justin Cooper duo quite yet. I think no crashes and all else being equal, good starts for everybody. Forkner's got like a three or four second lead on Cooper, who's got like a ten second lead on Lawrence, who has like a fifteen second lead on everybody else. You know what right. I mean? Like I think that's kinda he's definitely fast enough to podium. But don't know that he's got the endurance and the maturity to stay with these guys yet. So I'm gonna put him on third. All right. You just think he's Maybe Forkner makes a mistake. Jet takes two. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think he did. I didn't see any indication that his uh, endurance was even played a part in. Endurance can force you into mistakes. It's it not necessarily just being tired and slowing down, right? Sometimes being tired, you lose focus. You right. start being able to, you know, you start making mistakes, and those mistakes can lead to a crash. So I do think it played. Not that I think he's out of shape, right? But I think having only been in this twice now at race level intensity and adrenaline and going on, there is a very good chance he just started to lose focus a little bit and made a few little bit of rookie mistakes because he wasn't able to keep his mind on it because he was he was kind of exhausted. And I think I'm going to chalk it up to that. And I think that that keeps him from taking like a top two so far. Okay. Who knows? He let's could see. win next week. Uh, he was certainly fast let's, enough. Let's see what happens. We'll see what happens. So it's funny. Same three, different order. All right. Last week. Wow. This is brutal, dude. Okay, so we, we both had Adam Ciancerulo winning. Wow. So that was wrong. Wrong. We both had Tomac number two. <laughs> I had Blake Baggett number three. Oh, my goodness. You at least got one of the podiums right. I got you had, Roxon. You had Roxon three. He ended up winning. So five of the six that we picked weren't even on the podium. Jeez. That's awful. Awful. So. Let's do our picks. Wow. Okay. I'm gonna. So again, I'm gonna write mine down first. Okay. So they don't influence yours. And then, um, all right. So I'm gonna go. Oh, geez. Uh, here. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's no. Eee, this is so tough. Uh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. Okay. Got it. I got. I got. I got. I got my top three. That's all right. That was tough. That was tougher than I thought because of how bad I did last week. All right. What are your three? I'm gonna go. Right now, I can't imagine anybody being more confident than Ken Roxon. I'm gonna put him at number one again. Okay. Um. I'm going to put Barsha at number two again. Okay. And I think Tomac's going to get a, like one or two spots better of a, a start than he did this week. And I think he's going to find his way onto the podium. Okay. So we're getting pretty good at at least picking the same, roughly the same. Cause okay. <laughs> uh, I also have rocks and winning confidence is flying high. Um, I think that he's just, I, by the way, I 
this one, not the, the one I crossed out is the gotcha. one I'm going with. All right. I was back. So for number two, I was back and forth. So I agree with you that Roxanne's going to win. Number two, I was back and forth actually between Cianciarulo and Tomac. Okay. I think both of them. I think Cianciarulo's flashed that he can absolutely be podium and win any of these races. Uh, he just, he had that mistake. Got, got into it with Osborne. It was a mistake. Um, but not yet. Tomac is my number two. I was back and forth. I I agree with you. I How do you keep this guy out of the podium for that long? I just don't think you do. And I think at one of these points, he's just going to get a good start and run away with it. Right. But I think Roxanne's just right now too good. And uh, I also have Barsha third. You had them second. So we flip Barsha Tomac for us. Uh, Barsha third. Right now, he hasn't shown me that he doesn't belong on the podium. So I'm going to keep putting him on the podium. It's good as call. simple as that. I just think, you know, when Tomac gets his start, he's probably going to be faster than everybody yeah so unless he starts way back in like 10th or anything so yeah how do you leave tomac off right because again one of these one of these races we're going to be right right (laughs) (laughs) he's not going to not podium this whole season right i agree he's going to figure it out wow it was a lot to go over there was that was a crazy a lot of stories awesome 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 race last night um i can only hope that anaheim 2 is more like St. Louis and way less like Anaheim 1. Oh, I hope so. These guys should be getting healthier, yep. right? They should be getting over their sickness. I hope they sort out the track a little bit. Hopefully they – and they usually change it up a little bit between Anaheim. So yeah. hopefully whatever the changes they make this time, they're like, hey, wow, St. Louis is really interesting. Let's go ahead and do something more similar to that. They right. change the track up. If they can do you know, healthier, better track – um, and then just better starts from the riders that belong up front. And I think we have an awesome, awesome Anaheim too. And then after that, we get the first triple crown of the year, which I love. Yeah, me too. Awesome event. And I like that they're not shifting to that for every race so far. I like having it like three times throughout the season. Agreed. It's a fun event. Changes things up. Changes up the pace. But um, doesn't overwhelm you with three main events every single week, which I think might be a little too much. Right. So... You got anything else there, big guy? I think we wrapped it up. Yeah, I think that's about it, man. Hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed the interview. And if you guys liked that and you want more things like that, more interviews and content related to motocross and dirt bikes and motorcycles in general, let us know. If you know anyone who wants to do things like that, go ahead and let us know. Thanks again to Mark and Nancy. Thank you very much. It was a great conversation. I look forward to working with them in the future too. And uh, that's all I got, dude. I'll see you next week. All right, man. See you next week. Later. Later.